10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits! Culver is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. And we welcome you into the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll talk about the first week of preseason camp for A-State football. Also, it's the final round of voting this week for the stadium contest. We'll talk about who's in the finals a little bit later on as well. But right now, we're joined by a special guest in studio, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I've been waiting to have this interview for a while, ever since we started doing this podcast, thinking about people that we could talk to around campus that have really, really good stories. This is one of the guys I thought about. It's Drew Labounty, A-State baseball assistant coach and recruiting coordinator. How you doing, Drew? I'm doing great. I really appreciate you guys having me. Well, you're going into your third season at A-State, and during this time, you've adjusted to Jonesboro, but... You're from Pensacola, Florida, right? So tell us about uh, your family and, and growing up in Florida. Yeah, grew up in uh, Pensacola, lived there my whole life. We had one house that uh, we lived in, you know, all the way through high school. And I love Pensacola. Obviously, it's home for me, my family. Both my parents work in education. My mom was a teacher when I was growing up and ended up actually getting her master's while she had four kids, <laughs> which was kind of crazy. But so she did that. And then she ended up being a principal for the last. I don't know, about 10 years or so. Recently retired. She's loving that aspect of her life. And then my dad is a uh, athletic director and, and baseball coach at, at Pensacola Catholic. And then I have three sisters, one older and two younger. And we're really close. Uh, we talk all the time and love spending time with them and, and doing things with the family. So, but yeah, Pensacola is home and it'll kind of always be home. But as you mentioned, Jonesboro's kind of right up there with, with probably Pensacola, Mobile, and, and then now Jonesboro are kind of I feel like my three homes, you know, and so really enjoy it. All right. Talk me through those uh, sibling setup again. You're the only boy and then kind of where you were in the batting order. Yeah. So so my sister, my older sister, and then I have two younger sisters. And we <laughs> growing up, so it, it was kind of a smaller house. It wasn't like a, a bigger house or whatever. And uh, so I shared a room with my sister. And then on top of that, I shared a bathroom in the mornings with three sisters trying to get ready for school. <laughs> so you, you can imagine that it was, uh, I was in there for about mm, about three minutes total in the mornings. And then after that, it was it was all of them getting ready. So but that's kind of the dynamic right there. Now, your dad was the baseball coach at Pensacola Catholic. Is he still doing that? Well, yes. <laughs> Last year was his first year back, actually. He was a baseball coach for... Oh man, I think it was 34 years. And then when I became a, I believe it was a, if I remember correctly, it was a sophomore in college at, at South Alabama, you know, he kind of wanted to watch me a little bit more and, and, and wanted to, to kind of get away from that scene and just kind of travel around with us. And he loved watching me play, obviously. And so he wanted to do that. So he kind of got away from it for a couple of years. And then after that, he, he kind of got the itch, I guess, and, and wanted to go back. So last year was his first year back coaching. You guys had a very good high school team that you played on. 
back-to-back state champions, right? And I saw where three different publications actually named you guys national champions. Was that your senior year? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. We, uh, like you mentioned, I mean, we were fortunate. We had we had a lot of really good players that kind of chose to come to Pensacola Catholic, and we had a great coaching staff, including my dad. I mean, you know, I'm going to brag on him for a little bit, but he, he's he's really good at, at co- I mean, at coaching, just just getting guys to do kind of what he wants and how he wants them to play, and and so I have a lot of respect for him just as a coach. Obviously, he's my dad too, but. And so I've learned a lot of, of kind of what I do with our guys from him, which which I think is cool. My senior year, we we had a really good team. Ended up going thirty and zero, and had some close calls in there, but uh, but a lot of games where we ended up handling pretty easily. And so yeah, you're, you're right. We we had I think it was three, maybe four publications that crowned us national champion, mythical national champions, if you will. <laughs> you know, so it was cool. It was really fun to be a part of, and and something I'll never forget for sure. So if your dad got out while you played and then just got back in last year, then it's the first time, I guess, you guys have really both been coaching at the same time. So what were those conversations like over last year when they were kind of coach to coach for maybe the first time? They were really cool. You know, as you mentioned, it's a little bit different when when you got two coaches in the house kind of kind of deal, you know, and so. We were constantly bouncing things off of each other, and I would ask him, "Hey, hey, what would you do in this situation or th- or that situation?" And I would ask him the same questions. Hey, what what would you do? You know, and and he would ask me, which I thought was cool. And he watched a lot of our games, a, a lot of our games, and so you know, he he's like, "Hey, what were you guys thinking here?" Because. I want to talk to my team about it tomorrow as kind of a coaching point, you know? And so we'd go through it and, and do things like that. So it was fun, and I'm sure that will continue this year for sure. I got a kick out of your dad at Georgia State. He was there, and I was actually outside for those games. That's a different story, but <laughs> but I saw your dad basically – pacing back and forth, just like as if you were out there mm-hmm. playing. And I imagine that dad cap never comes off. He's proud of you, but he is fully invested in what you're doing here at Arkansas State. No question. He definitely is. Like, like I said, I mean, we talk every day. I mean, probably more times than not, two times a day. It just about everything Arkansas State, not just about baseball, just about Jonesboro too. And, hey, what'd you do today? Where, where'd you eat? You know, oh, well, I've tried this new place downtown. It was really, you know, just everything, really. But you're right. He's invested. He definitely cares a lot about, of course, about me, but also about Arkansas State baseball and our kind of path, I guess, if you will. So you end up going to South Alabama. And I think anybody who's paid attention to Sunbelt baseball over the years knows that this is a really, really good baseball program. And, of course, we've seen it from the Arkansas State side. What is it that makes it work at South Alabama? And why was that the place you eventually chose to, to go to school and play ball? So, long story short, I, I was kind of getting recruited as a sophomore, you know, when I was at Catholic. And kind of going into that summer, I, I kind of knew that it was going to be a big summer for me, obviously, in the recruiting process. But I, I played basketball, too, in high school. And so my sophomore year in basketball, actually, believe it or not, as crazy as it sounds, but I, I tore my Tommy John playing basketball during the year. And so I didn't play at all my sophomore year. And so all of the schools that were kind of recruiting me essentially backed off and, and didn't really do anything and kind of were saying, hey, we're going to wait till this whole thing clears up, you know, with the elbow and all that. And 
which of course I understood. The only school that really didn't, the only person who really kept in contact with me on a consistent basis was Mark Calvey. At this time, he was actually coaching waiting at South Alabama. I, I believe if, if I got my dates right, I think it was 2011. He was coaching waiting. So he was kind of doing the recruiting deal. And so he kept in touch throughout my process of recruiting. You know, he, he would actually come and basically watch me do my throwing program, do my hitting program and things like that. And so it really meant a lot to me that that he took the time out of out of his day to to come over and do those sort of things. You know, fast forward my junior year when I kind of started playing again in that that fall and kind of started to get my feet underneath me. There were some other schools that kind of started to come in and and watch me play, and I felt a sense of loyalty to to really Mark Calvey. It wasn't really even South Alabama; it was Mark Calvey because of what he did while I was hurt, and so. That's kind of the story, and I took some other visits and, and did some things and really kind of thought through it, but I think I knew pretty early on that I was going to go to South Alabama, no matter who really came in. And there were some bigger schools that came in, but I just felt like uh, it was the right place for me, and, and I felt like my family was going to be able to watch me play a lot, being only you know hour, 15 minutes away. And so that, that was big for me, too. It was almost like uh, it could be as far away as I wanted you know, be an hour 15, but it could also be as close close as I wanted. And, and I could go home if I needed to. And so it was kind of the best of both worlds in that regard. Yeah, I kind of wanted to ask about that part. I guess even in the bigger picture, if, if people in Pensacola, you know, how they view South Alabama, because I know there's Florida, Florida State, and there's all the programs in the state. And technically South Alabama's not, but it sure feels like that's the closest place, especially for a baseball player, could go play in a good D1 program. So how do people in Pensacola view South Alabama? I think they view it in in a great light. I really do. To be honest with you, growing up, as you mentioned, it was kind of Florida, Florida State. So I'd be lying if I said I knew a lot about South Alabama. And obviously my my family being in in Pensacola for, I guess, so long, and and my dad kind of almost like a public figure in Pensacola, just because he was in the light for so long being a coach, you know? And so what I'm trying to say is because I went to South Alabama and, and my dad was kind of doing his deal. And, and my mom obviously came across with so many people in Pensacola that I, I think South Alabama kind of grew a little bit in Pensacola just in that regard. And so there was a lot of people that, that ended up coming over to South Alabama while I was there that I knew from Pensacola. Now, was that because of me? Absolutely not. <laughs> right. But I think, uh, you know, we kind of put the name out there a little bit and I love my time there. And so of course, any chance I got, I I talked it up. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's how, how it went. You go to South Alabama, and you had a fascinating career there. And I, I want to start with your freshman year. You start almost every game as a freshman, so you come in, you make an immediate impact. And then as a sophomore in 2015, you started off great. You're hitting 371 through the first 12 games, but you end up taking a medical red shirt due to a season-ending shoulder injury. And up until that point, would it be fair to say you were no stranger to uh, being injured? It wasn't the first time. It wasn't my first ever surgery, that's for sure. And I know I kind of in high school, I mentioned, you know, my sophomore year, I had Tommy John surgery, so I, I missed that year. And before that, in eighth grade, you know, I mentioned my dad was a coach. And so my grandmother used to pick me up from, from school at like 2, 2.30 every day, would take me to my dad's practices. So I would go and, and practice with the team. And I did that for years, you know, and, and I was fortunate to be around those guys and, and spend time with them. But it was 
I think it was January 18th, actually, you know, when I was in eighth grade and dad was having tryouts, actually. And so we were out there doing a little inner squad, a little coach pitch inner squad. You know, I was going back for a fly ball from shortstop and the left fielder came running in and, and essentially his knee hit my knee and he was a junior. He was a lot bigger than I was. I'm not a big guy to begin with. And he was a bigger guy. And so I ended up breaking my femur when I was in eighth grade. Now, now, wait a minute. Now, you're going to eighth grade already. I yeah. I read where you had already broken your left elbow when you were eight years old. Yeah, I did that. You broke your tibia when you were 13, so the year before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, then you get to the femur injury, and this was broken in half, right? Yeah, it was. I had, I had obviously, I had surgery on it and had two screws put in at the knee, which was a little bit because I, I feel like most people when they break their femur they break it a little bit higher like towards the hip and for whatever reason I I broke mine at my knee because usually what happens when you go to like knee to knee is you know you usually tear your ACL or, or MCL or something in that regard maybe it was the way in which I got impacted knee to knee or whatever but yeah I, I broke my femur I, I don't know how it happened to be honest and so a little story about a little background story on that was one of the guys who was on the team already, his last name was Houlihan, but his dad was a uh, was an orthopedic surgeon. Well, it was tryouts, so all the parents were there. <laughs> and so he he comes running on the field and not to get too graphic, but it, it looked a little bit uh, it looked a little bit wonky down there, I'll say that in the knee region. And so he looked at it and, and he was like, Oh yeah, it's just a just a dislocated knee. And I, I, lo- I remember looking at him and telling him, like, this is not a dislocated knee. Like, and he was like, oh, yeah, just, you know, he kept saying that and whatever. So they, you know, they had to bring the ambulance. And then <laughs> so the ambulance actually went to the wrong hospital first off. So they went to the wrong hospital because the, the guy who was, was like a, the knee specialist or whatever, who was, who was on call that day or whatever, uh, was at Sacred Heart. We ended up going to Baptist first. So we had to reroute and go to Sacred Heart. So it took us like. 15 extra minutes to get there. As soon as we get there, we get in and the guy sees me. His name's Dr. Turnage. He's unbelievable human being. Like I, not even doctor. He's, he's obviously a, a great orthopedic surgeon, but just an unbelievable human being. And, and he's kind of been a, actually really just a friend of the family since then. So he looks at it for about, I don't know, about a minute and a half and is like, yeah, you, you broke your femur. We got to do immediate surgery. And so we did that whole deal. And which is why I got held back in eighth grade because I missed I missed the whole second half of, of school. You just don't you don't hear about that from injury, but this thing was so bad. It, you had to take a medical red shirt in eighth grade. I, I don't know if I've ever heard that before. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a six exactly what it was. Yeah, like I told you, it happened. I think it was January eighteenth. Obviously, school had started a little bit for us, but yeah, I mean, I was in a cast from my from my toes to my hip and literally couldn't move for the first couple of months. And then after that, all the rehab and, and stuff like that. So I, I didn't go back to school until it was like a week and a half or may, maybe two weeks before finals. I mean, I had teachers that would come to the house and kind of help me out or whatever, but I was like, I, I mean, I don't know anything. <laughs> What's on these tests and these finals, you know? And, and they gave me the option, which was really cool. They, they said like, Hey, you know, I know you missed all, you know, the second semester, but if you want, we can get you through because, you know, I guess you're a decent student to begin with. And so no issues, whatever, or we can, we can hold you back. And it was kind of, I felt like best for me to just get held back. And, and I had some friends in, in the 
We were in the seventh grade at the time. And so it was kind of an easy transition. The only difficult part was was all the friends that I had in eighth grade were now in high school. Yeah. And so it was kind of if if it had been like seventh to eighth where I got held back, I think it would have been a lot easier. But you know, all those guys, they didn't, they didn't want to hang out with that with an eighth grader, you know. <laughs> and so that that was, I guess, maybe the the most difficult part. But other than that, I mean, I, it was the best thing for me, and and I, I would do it again to this day if I had to. So going through the list here, broke your left elbow at eight years old, broke your tibia at thirteen, broke your femur at fourteen. Sophomore year, you mentioned this earlier tore your UCL in your right arm playing basketball and then underwent Tommy John. Later, you tear your left UCL as a junior, but you declined surgery to help your team win a state championship. And then as a senior, you dove for a ball at shortstop and dislocated your throwing shoulder, correct? My left shoulder. Your left shoulder. Yes. So it wasn't your throwing shoulder. No. So, so you goodness. kept toughing it out. And then as a freshman at South Alabama, you suffered a third shoulder injury and finally had surgery at that point, right? Did not have surgery on my left. No surgery on and, my left, but it did come out of place three times. Yeah. What kept you coming back? I mean, was there ever a point where you said, hey, my body's just not going to be able to hold up? No, there was absolutely never a doubt in my mind that I was going to come back from all of the things that you just mentioned. You know, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. And the game of baseball has given me way more than I could ever give it, right? And so it's given me way more joy than than all the hurting, all, all of the, the things that I went through to be able to play, right? But it's brought so much joy to my life through spending time with my dad all the way up. I, I can remember being there when I was five and six years old spending time with the guys and, and doing that sort of deal. And so, yeah, has it caused some pain? Sure. But it's caused way more joy than it has anything else. And like I said, I, I don't think I would trade all of that sort of stuff be, because of just my life and, and my journey and, and through everything. I think it's kind of helped shape who I am today. I really do. Okay. On the one hand, like your mom's a coach's wife, so she'd been around it. She, she understands it's occupational hazard. On the other hand, you said you're her only baby boy, right? So you said there was never a time you thought about hanging it up. Was there ever a time she said, hey, baby, maybe this ain't for you? Honestly, no. I mean, my, my mom, she she's incredible. I mean, she is uh, she's incredible. That's all I can say. Through all the injuries, the, the amount of probably heartache that I caused her, as you talked about, is, is probably real. It's a lot. <laughs> For sure. But no, I, th- I think she and en- she enjoyed so much, I think, watching me play and kind of that aspect of my life. And she knew how much it meant to me and how much it meant to my dad, too, to, to kind of do this together, the baseball thing together, you know. And she was a big part of that, too. I mean, I remember she she took me countless of places, really, to, to play baseball. And she loved it. She really did. And so I don't think there was a time where, where she was pushing me not to play. That's for sure. <laughs> well, you came back. And in 2016 and 2017, you were fantastic. I remember very well watching you play while at South Alabama and first team all-conference both years at shortstop and played in the Cape Cod League at one point too, didn't you? Yeah, just very briefly. I was on a uh, temporary contract, so I was there for must be about three weeks, two and a half, three weeks, something like that. So, But that was a great experience. It, it was awesome. It was cool. But at that point, I'm sure you're thinking, well, my professional prospects are, are looking pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I thought I definitely had a chance to play pro ball. I would be lying if I sat here today and said, hey, you know, I thought I was going to be a big leaguer or, or anything like that. But I thought I could definitely play professional baseball, at, you know, to some level. And, and I always thought that once you kind of get in, as, as long as you play well, then you keep moving up and, and you kind of go from there, right? You kind of see what happens. And But yeah, I, I was, I think, looking forward to the, the prospect of, of playing professional baseball for sure. February 2nd. 2018 comes along. You're getting ready for your senior season, a preseason intra-squad scrimmage. That was the day your playing career came to an end. Tell us what happened. Yeah, looking back, it's very surreal. But, you know, because you kind of tell, first off, I'll say this, you kind of tell your team that every year, hey, you never know when when this thing's going to end, right? You know, it could end just like that. But Every time previous that that I would hear that, I'd be like, oh, man, come on. You know, that's not going to happen, whatever. But now it's just true. Like, it, it can happen just like that, as you mentioned, on, on February 2nd. It was two weeks before our first game. And so, generally speaking, at, at South, every you know two weeks before the first game, we have a night game. So, it was, it was our first night game of, of the spring, which is cool because, it, you know, you're under the lights for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of got the juices flowing a little bit. So, it was fun. It was exciting or whatever. And, yeah, it was just like any other day, I don't remember anything different about it. And kind of the story behind that, I was facing a guy who had a really good breaking ball and I was in a one, two count during the inner squad. And so in the back of my head, I was kind of thinking breaking ball. And so was kind of telling myself, Hey, stay in there, stay in there. You got to stay on this pitch. So he ended up throwing a fastball, of course. And, you know, as it's coming at me, obviously I'm, I'm trying to think, stay in there as I'm thinking breaking ball. And it just kind of keeps coming up and in, keeps coming up and in. And so I kind of started my swing a little bit, check swing of some sorts, if you will, but I was also kind of trying to get out of the way at the same time. And so when I did that, my bat kind of came with me towards the pitcher. And when it did, the, the ball actually tipped off my bat and ended up hitting me in the eye, which is how it how it hit me in the right eye and not my left eye. I remember going down and you're trying to get your bearings at that point. Like, where am I at here? Like, how bad is this really? And what's going on here? And I kind of knew it was bad when I was laying there and it felt like all the blood was just rushing to my face, to like my eye region. It was, it kind of felt weird because, you know, I was laying there. So I stood up, our trainer comes out. He's like, lay down, lay down, lay down. You know, and I'm like, I can't because of the pressure in my eyes were, was so bad that I needed, you know, almost the blood to like rush down my body. And so I was, I was just sitting there and you know how your eyes kind of, they work together, right? When you blink, you, you kind of blink both at the same time, right? Obviously, when you have something of that, I guess, sort of trauma happen to one eye, it really affected my left eye too. I, I couldn't open up my left eye, even though nothing was wrong with it, but I couldn't open it up just because my right eye, I guess, was so messed up. And so we're sitting there waiting for the ambulance and, you know, actually on my way to the ambulance and, and on my way to the hospital, I called my parents. They already knew they were already on their way. You know, it took 20 minutes for the ambulance to get there. And so I remember talking to my mom on the phone because my dad's a little bit freaked out about this type of stuff, you know, the the injury type stuff. And so I was talking to my mom and I just remember telling her like, or she's like, hey, you know, how bad is it? Are you okay? And I just remember saying like, I I don't know if I'll ever be able to see again, Mm. just like that. And you know, I remember her voice just kind of, you know, crackling in and out or whatever. But I said, it, you know, it's going to be fine. We're going to be all right. So got to the uh, emergency room and kind of kind of did the whole deal from there with the surgeries and, and all that sort of stuff. So 
were you ever able to get any of the eyesight back? No. I, so the first couple of surgeries was really to, to try to save the eye, which they weren't really able to do, but in a sense they were. They were able to kind of put it put it together essentially and make it look okay, I guess. And then the last couple of surgeries, you know, I had one for, you know, the facial structure, basically like plastic surgery essentially because I had some, some broken bones in, in the face region. And then my last surgery was to put what's called a flap over the eye. It essentially acts as protection, but also allows you to put in, you know, a contact to be able to, I guess, make it look presentable, if you will. So, but no, no vision ever since the injury. You know, primarily, you see it in the big leagues where we've seen if a pitcher hits a batter on the other team in the head, the impact it can have, and that's you know, guy even on the other team, or if a guy flip it around, if a guy hits a comebacker and it. It's the pitcher in the head. You, you, you could see the visible impact that has on the batter. And I know the pitcher in this case didn't technically hit you, right? It hit the bat. But, like, now all of a sudden this is a teammate. So, like, what's that dynamic like moving forward? What are your conversations like with the guy who threw the pitch? It's tough for him, you know, to, to kind of be in that situation for sure. You know, as you mentioned, it can kind of affect the way you pitch and affect the way you do things. And so I remember I was – you know, laying in the hospital and we had the team kind of in the hospital with me, just kind of hanging around or whatever, you know, different people at different times. And, and I remember him coming and, and I just remember telling him like, Hey man, like I, I'm not mad at you at all. You know, I, I like I, there's zero hard feelings. Obviously I know you didn't mean to do it. Like you're good, man. Like no yeah. issues whatsoever. And, and I think that that maybe kind of cleared it up for him a little bit to kind of give him a little bit of peace of mind knowing that that maybe, you know, I wasn't mad at him or anything. I mean, there was there was nothing for me to be mad at him with, for, you know. And so, you know, we we definitely had that conversation, but since then after that, you know, when when I when I ended up going back to school, I guess, obviously he was still there and so we had a fine relationship, no no issues. I mean, it was just like normal, you know, which I can imagine if I would have treated him differently because of that, I think I would have looked back on that and said that was a mistake. So I'm, I'm glad that, that we kind of cleared the air in, in there in that regard. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Red Wolves fans, this is Coach Destiny Rogers, and I'm asking you to help our student athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This is an organization that highlights our commitment to teamwork while raising awareness and support for our local community programs. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team letters, special gear, and exclusive access that you won't find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at impactclub.com. That's impact spelled I-M-P-A-C-K-T club.com. Your support makes a real difference in the lives of our student athletes and in the future of our sports program. Wolves up. Visiting with A-State assistant coach Drew Labouty here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. That injury ended your playing career, but it did not end your baseball career. And with your dad being a coach, you watching it, I guess it was kind of a natural progression for you to go into coaching, right? Yeah, it was. I think really early on in my life, I mean, I, I can remember thinking, eight, nine, 10 years old, even that I knew that as soon as I got done playing that I was going to be a coach. 
it is just kind of in my blood. I, I never wanted to do anything else. Heck, I remember just the other day, our, our pitching coach, Peyton, he was asking me, he was like, he's like, hey, if you didn't coach baseball, you know, what what, what would you do? And I was like, I didn't even have an answer for him. Like, it's, it's the only thing I ever was going to do or, or wanted to do or, you know, anything. So it was an easy transition. Now, it, it happened a little bit sooner than I anticipated, which was fine. I, I was looking forward to coaching and was fortunate enough to get some opportunities right away and kind of start that journey and kind of led me here. 2019, you went to Pearl River Community College. You began your coaching career there. And then, even though the 2020 season wasn't very long, the COVID season, that was your first journey here to Arkansas State because Coach Raffo had an opening as a volunteer assistant. I'm sure Mark Calvey told you a few things about Tommy Raffo before you came to Arkansas State, but what was it about Coach Raffo that made you want to come here? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's not anything bad that anybody could say about Tommy Raffo. I mean, there, there just really isn't. And so, yeah, of course, I, I talked to Coach Calvey at that time and and was kind of like, hey, this might be an opportunity. I talked to Michael Avalon, who was a coach at Pearl River at the time, or still is, I, sh- I should say. And so just talking to the community about kind of Tommy Raffo. But to be honest with you, I, I knew Tommy Raffo before playing, just playing in the Sun Belt. You know, obviously we played them every year. And just the way his teams competed, the way they, they went about their business, the way he went about his business, he knew what he was doing and, and how he was doing it and that sort of deal. And then after talking to him on the phone, it was clear of just kind of what, what type of person he is. It was a no-brainer for me. It was an easy decision. Don't get me wrong. I loved my time at Pearl River. I really did. Again, that's where I started. You know, I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget Michael Avalon calling me and offering me the job, my first ever job, you know. But at the same time, it was it was a no-brainer for me to come and and learn from, from Tommy Raffo. And, and it just so worked out. He needed a, an infield guy and and obviously that's kind of my background and, and my passion is infield. And so it, it was an easy transition for me. He made it extremely easy for, for myself and my parents and family and stuff. And so just an unbelievable human being. And you could tell that right off the bat. You really could. You wanted a full-time opportunity, obviously. You go to Pensacola State the following year. <clears throat> You spent one year there, but the very next season, there's a full-time opportunity on the A-State staff. So you come here in 2022. That was your first season as a full-time assistant coach. And I remember that year. I mean, we were excited to have you around, but that 2022 season was a very tough one on the field. And we knew that we're going to have to overhaul this roster the following year. You were on the road a lot that first season. No, you're right. Uh, you know, going to Pensacola was was a tough decision. I, I like I said, I loved Jonesboro to begin with, and I felt like I needed some experience in the recruiting trail and kind of what that's about. I hadn't really had a chance to do that at Arkansas State or really at Pearl River, you know, really. And so, I needed that experience to be able to kind of keep moving up, if you will. So, did I go down a level to to junior college? Sure, but it allowed me to kind of gain some experience in the recruiting, and so. I actually remember when I was leaving Arkansas State, I remember going into into Coach Raffo's office and I was like, hey, I'm going, okay? But I said, if you ever have an, uh, another opportunity to be on your staff, I would love to do that. I would love that opportunity. I loved my time here. I loved working for you. So if something comes up, I would greatly appreciate it. if you would consider me for it, essentially. 
So long story short, that ends up happening and I'm here and and yeah, 22 was, was very tough. Obviously, you know, you want to win. You definitely, every time you step on the field, you want to win and we didn't do that a lot. <laughs> and so you're right, we, we knew we had to get better. The Sun Belt was changing. COVID kind of hurt us in recruiting quite a bit around this area. And so there was a lot of factors that kind of led to the 22 season. But you're right, I was on the road quite a bit and, and we knew we kind of needed to overhaul the roster and and, and hopefully get it up to speed as quickly as possible with the Sun Belt. And we definitely got better. There's some areas where we got to continue to improve. We know that. But we're looking forward to the challenge. And, and I like the guys that, that we got coming in this year. And so I think we're definitely building in the right direction. Brought in 22 new players for that 2023 season. And look, we did see a lot of improvements last year, in particular offensively and defensively as well. And I don't think it's any secret, need to upgrade the pitching staff. And I'm guessing that's been, as recruiting coordinator, that's been a a huge emphasis this offseason. Yeah, it sure has. You know, we got a lot of guys returning offensively. I mean, we added a, a few guys to that mix that we feel good about and are excited about. But you're right. We had to get better on the mound. No question. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with we had a lot of first year player guys, not not necessarily freshmen, but first year in the Sun Belt. There's an adjustment period with that. No doubt. You mentioned how good the Sun Belt is. It's a top five league in the country. And so when, when you bring in freshmen, when you bring in junior college, and you bring him all of a sudden to this type of level, there's an adjustment period. There's no doubt. We saw a lot of guys get better as the year went along. And so a lot of those guys are returning who we feel like are going to help us even more this year. And then, of course, we added some to that mix, some older guys, some different presences in, in the mix who we feel really good about. And kind of a point of emphasis was definitely the starting rotation. We felt like we had to get better there. And we had some injuries last year that kind of hurt us in that aspect. But it is what it is. Injuries are going to happen. It's the next man up at that point, right? And so we added some more guys to the mix who we feel like can come in and start on the weekend for us. And so, you know, hopefully we can help those guys get a tick better and, and all of a sudden we can be a lot better as a staff. All right. Speaking of uh, staff, we'll go coaching staff because two sort of changes there. In the, Henry Lartigue, who is the volunteer assistant, now gets to be, you know, a full time assistant with the third assistant being approved finally. And then uh, you've already mentioned Peyton Trawick, the new pitching coach. I'm going to let you speak to both of those guys. Sort of what impact can Henry have as an assistant versus the volunteer assistant? Certainly you've been both, so you can speak to that and then you know, let fans know what to expect out of the new pitching coach. Yeah, Henry's great, man. He's he's a stud. He, he really is. He, he's awesome, super knowledgeable, very smart, and obviously does a great job with the catchers. On top of that, you mentioned moving from volunteer to full-time assistant – Along with that comes the recruiting aspect, right? And he, he's been great in that regard, too. This summer has, has been awesome. Obviously, there's a learning curve in that, you know, trying to navigate, okay, who, who do I need to see? How do I need to approach these guys? And how do I talk to them? And, you know, just learning kind of the ropes of it, right, as a first-time recruiter. And he's been great. He's learned really fast. He's really good at what he does. He's great at identifying players. He's great at talking to them, whether it's on the phone or in person, because it is a, a little bit, uh, how do I say it? You get better at it with experience when you're talking to kids, because some kids, that they're more outgoing than others. And so you're trying to start conversations. You're, you're trying to keep that conversation going and trying to build a relationship with somebody in the recruiting trail. It, it can be difficult at times. And, and he's been great in that regard. 
And then Peyton has kind of uh, obviously hasn't been with us very long, but we went this past week to the to the PBR futures deal in in Atlanta, and you could tell he he was kind of and he has a little bit more experience in recruiting just with with his experience at uh, Central Florida and at camp. He's kind of got that a, a little bit down and, and kind of knows what's going on there. But I think he's going to be great, you know, after spending time with him this past week. Great dude, great personality. I think he's going to be able to relate with, to the pitchers, and I think he's going to do a great job in, in kind of helping these guys progress and, as I, as I mentioned, kind of take a tick forward is kind of the goal. So I think he's going to be really good. Coach, we've really enjoyed this visit. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Glad you're here. Look forward to seeing a big year out of the Red Wolves in 2024. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys having me, and and thank you for what you do for Arkansas State and and for us. I really appreciate you guys, so thank you. That's A-Stage Drew Labounty joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We'll be back to wrap things up right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Red Wolf fans, this is Demario Davis, proud Red Wolf and linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. And I'm asking you to help out our current A-State student athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This organization helps our program stay competitive and supports our players by facilitating NIL agreements that allow them to endorse local charities, make a monthly commitment, and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access you won't find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at Impact Club. Thank you, and Wolves up. The stadium contest voting. Well, we're in the final round now. It's all come down to this. All right. It's down to (laughs) who we thought it would be down to. Yes, I I think that's fair to say. And uh, the top two seeds, which means the selection committee apparently got it right. (laughs) Good job, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, and honestly, I think that wasn't just me. I mean, all you guys that had input probably had those one and two. And look, you know, I think the situation's the same, right? I mean, the number one seed is the number one seed for a reason. And that Middle Tennessee game in 2012, I think uh, the Memphis game in 07 has been very impressive getting here. And we'll just have to see, you know, if it's got anything for the one seed, if we can make it close. I think it's going to be closer than what we may think. Yeah, I hope. Number one, I hope yep. there's a ton of votes. And I hope it, whoever wins, wins by one. Now, so to give people a, to show you this live, because uh, just kind of when we recorded this, while we were talking to Coach Labounty, the voting went live. Okay. The social media post went out and voting opened literally while we were sitting here talking. So there's a you know social media post and a graphic that went out on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Now, don't really focus on the graphic yet. I want you to read the – I'm going to hand you this tweet, and I want you to read the copy first before you look at the graphic. It all comes down to this. Number one, Middle Tennessee in 2012 versus number two, Memphis in 2007 to see which is crowned the top game in stadium history presented by Slim Chickens. Below is a shot of the game-changing moment from each now contest. Look, so on your uh, left, there's the, the Memphis one. What do we got? We got Kevin Jones returning the punt for the touchdown. Game-changing moment. Game-changing moment. From middle, what do we got? 
Can you zoom in there? We've got the coin toss. We got middle declining the coin toss and deferring. Ryan Applin saying or not saying those famous <laughs> words. It's over. so I thought that was the game defining moment from that game. We was fortunate to go through and see we had a photo of it. That's well done. You literally could see the white hat waving his arms that Middle Tennessee has won the toss and deferred its option to the second half. And that's when the game was over. Yep, that was kind of the you, the, the Kevin Jones punt changed the Memphis game and not taking the ball, it turned out to, ch- to change the Middle Tennessee game. All right, so it's up to our fans now to decide the best game in the history of the stadium and they can do that i'm guessing through thursday again yep a state redwolves.com slash stadium poll speaking of football the football team officially reporting this week preseason practice begins and media day coming up on friday so it's officially here yeah it's here i, I did want to finish a story from last week and i mentioned blake groupie and running into him and, and visiting with him for, for a good while at the hotel before uh, Sunbelt Media Days. Coach Jones was there and uh, wishing Blake luck as he went into Saints camp. But one thing that, that Blake Groupie told us the other day I thought was really, really neat. He said when he got to the facility the day before, he said he walked in, he looks down, and Forrest Merrill, former Red Wolf, is there stretching. He was going through a little bit of a pre-camp tryout that day but one of the the coolest things he said was the former red wolves that are already on the saints have fully embraced him being at camp and i thought that was so neat he said the guy that gave him a full tour of the facility was kirk merritt Hmm. and the guy that he sits right next to is demario davis and that's that's the guy to sit by if if you play for the saints (laughs) and Blake said every single day, DeMario would walk in, he'd see him sitting next to him, he'd pat him on the shoulder and say, what's up, Red Wolf? There you go. And that's a visual I've had in my head ever (laughs) since. Blake Groupie and DeMario Davis sitting side by side in that meeting room. We've got to be Saints fans, right? I mean, if, you know, especially if he wins that job and Kirk is just kind of waiting for that right spot to come. I mean, it's one of those deals where – like, even when people haven't had a spot for him on their 53 man, they've wanted him around. Yeah. There's a reason for that. His time's coming. So it'd be neat if all that happened with the Saints. Because I don't have an NFL team. I'd gladly bring it, welcome it. And I think a lot of people, just because of DeMario, have become yeah. Saints fans around here over the years. Anything else we need to discuss here? No. I mean, like I said, we've got uh, camp starting this week. so And you'll start seeing you know a lot of things falling into place and start seeing the things you see that, and hearing the things you hear that means football season's coming. Can't wait. Hey, thanks uh, again to Drew Labounty for coming in. Really enjoyed that visit and just his candidness. What a story. Yeah. He has. And uh, appreciate Caleb Gardner from A-State Sports Information for helping uh, set that up as well. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.